far are you going? About 30 years. In this week's episode, it's a very merry Christmas with Voltis 5! I can hear you. Oh. So I was checking the updates channel on the Toonzone Discord, and there's some user that says, called Dora the Explorer, and their status is just Dora, 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 Dora. And someone replied saying, God, that user is annoying. <laughs> like, that's the level of autism that Toonzone is now. <laughs> uh, no, don't you mean the anime superhero? Um, right. Discord chat, which is still just Toonzone. At peak Toonzone. They're, they're compiling some sort of long list of, uh, you know, rules of, you know, how Harley is. Uh, yeah. So they've added some channel rules. And it's like, throughout the day, that channel keeps paying in, like, oh, there's new messages. But then every time you click on it, you can't see what the rules are. So I assume at some point she'll make the rules public and it's going to be, like, hundreds of things. Like, you cannot be a Zionic freak. <laughs> <laughs> You cannot question my web design. You cannot question the name change. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to be me. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I, I'm a very unique individual. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want anyone to be me. Only I can be me. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I like for her to go into detail on that. Like, how would you define a zionic freak? Like, what? <laughs> what are some characteristics of a zionic freak? <laughs> I don't know. Running an anime podcast, going on such anime podcasts to blasphemy and talk crap about other people from this forum on your anime podcast. And I'm like, well, those are things I won't deny that I did, so. <laughs> you can never question Light Lucario. You can never. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that, I, stand by, I stand by that happy. belief full wholeheartedly that you have to question her. And I bet you she's probably went on some sort of rant because of like what happened last night on Super with Master Roshi trying to molest Parn or whatever. Even though that was a very yeah. quick scene, so like it didn't really show anything. Yeah, it was like implied that Roshi was doing that for however many hours. Yeah, 
Is that TV that Trubs guy probably is posting in those talkbacks with uh, like a segmented version of this post that he came up with. Because he said something like he would written some like 60,000 word post or something. Oh, I remember He was like, that. Hey, Har- hey Harley, can I fit this into my uh, into a one post on Toonzone? <laughs> or is there some sort of character limit? And she was like, oh yeah, that's not going to work. He's like, oh, I have to divide it into three. And <laughs> The thing is, he's been working on that post for like three or four months or something. Mm-hmm. I... <laughs> like, Oh, boy. Yeah, I bet it's like Tian Chenahan is 2.74% stronger than this general in Advanced Wars, so he should have been <laughs> able to defeat seven more enemies than he actually did in this tournament or something. Oh, like, gosh. It's going to be like this total video game anime autism. Yeah. Well... I think it's, uh, well, first of all, we need to say to anyone listening, Merry Christmas. This is our special real Christmas episode. Um, and this time on the Anime Vestia podcast, we're going to talk about Voltus 5, especially not just any version of Voltus 5, but the Filipino English dub of Voltus 5. Yes, if you have only seen it in Japanese, then you don't know about Steve, Big Bird, and Little John. <laughs> And uh, Jamie and Mark, so you have to learn about the English names from yeah, us. Yeah, or Dr. Smith, and then, um, shoot, what was the other doctor that took over for Smith? Um, uh, it was a, he had a very know. short name, yeah. The one that wasn't a gray hair old man. I can't, yes. I can't, jeez, I just, we just finished the show and I can't remember his name, because he came in like halfway through the series. Maybe I can find, uh... Some sort of yeah. listing relating to the Jap- I mean, the uh, Philippines version. I don't know. Um, what episode was it that the the old man dies and replaced by the other? Um, man, I didn't take any notes when I watched this, so all I can tell you that happened about over a month ago when I was going through this show. So, <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, th- no, there was a list of characters on. Let's see. Maybe I can find the video here. I think it's like around episode 15 or so. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is it. You could play like a clip from the episode or something here. Yeah. Okay, so no, I, I got it. Yeah. Taste of what it sounds like. Okay, it's, uh, it doesn't show the, the scientist, but I got mm. most of the main people in front of me. It's off of an old GeoCity site. Someone made a Voltus Five. Yeah, well, they got the Philip oh. uh, the Filipino um, English names on here. Okay. All right, so we'll go ahead and get into it. Um, oh, uh, shoot! So introductions. My name is Dustin, and with me is my co-host John. Yes, I'm here. And again, like we said, we're going to talk about Voltus Five, and this fan page also has a Rival Schools fan page too. Um, let me put this up in the in the Discord chat so you can see when I'm going off. Hang on. <laughs> Is that off of one of my what the videos I posted up on Twitter? Uh, no, it's off of uh, RuTube. This is the uh, episode where they introduce that new guy. Yeah. He's like. His fingers Dr. Hook is a former student of Dr. Smith. He is one of our leading of space science. He will now be the new leader of Big Power. 
We have offered the position before, but he refused. It's good that he has finally accepted. We should be grateful to him for that. That'll be enough, Robinson. Now it's too early now to relax. I will have to be more strict with your training. Are you afraid of my plans? And then his eyes are like darting all over the place. <laughs> yeah, so his name was Doctor Hook. That was I know it was like a four letter name, but I couldn't remember like exactly what it was. Okay, so let's talk about. So yeah, that that's that's one of the characters that's brought in midway through because they start killing off characters and like bringing in new ones. Yes, so Voltus Five is a show that is relentless, relentless for killing off characters. Um, and I will say this. For the people that are will be buying, I think we ought to get a compensation te- check from uh, Discotech Media because they're going to release this on Blu-ray. And mm-hmm. we're doing a very fair review of this show, and I think we should get some of that sweet dough money um, for <laughs> us to try to better promote it, even though, uh, sadly enough, you're not going to get the Filipino dub on the uh, Blu-ray release that's coming out because it's just Japanese only for the language. And I gotta say, yeah. probably the English track is probably buried with Marcos in his grave. Um, the Marcos is a leader was the leader of the Philippines that banished like super robot shows like um, Grandizer, uh, Voltus Five, and Mazinger Z. No, it was Dimos, not Grandizer. And uh, then people finally got their shows back after many many years later. It's funny how that's regarded in the Philippines as like the worst thing he did. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he's. I'm sure he's committed several like human crime atrocity, atrocities against people. Probably has a bigger kill count than um, the the Kumar Rue uh, regime <laughs> in Cambodia or Pol Pot I don't know or whatever. If it's, that bad. it's hard to be worse than the Kumar Rouge, but yeah. I don't. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm just kind of skip speculating on what I'm. But but you know, like usually there's like some like memorial to like. The deaths of the various people who were killed by the dictator or something. But in the Philippines, they made statues of the robot shows that were canceled by him. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a hugely impacted show. Like, there was, I, there was some even videos on YouTube of, like, this old guy that was playing the Voltus 5 theme on piano. And he's, like, an accomplished pianist out of the Philippines. And he'll go to the malls and just start playing the Voltus 5 theme. And he's got, like, a crowd of people around him. And it's just an old man that loves to play the piano. Um. So yeah, I guess we'll just go ahead and get started on what Voltus Five is. I'll tell you that I got a hold of these. Um, I talked about this in the last episode of my Anime Weekend Atlanta trip, where Dave Merrill uh, hooked me up with Voltus Five on DVD, which I think were just old. There were old TV recordings off VHS that he had, and that's how I started on getting getting into it. So I had the first twenty or so episodes. And then I had to go to RuTube to, to, to rip off the remaining episodes off of there, which is how we, which is how you saw the, the whole show, right? Yes, I didn't. I didn't feel the need to to download it because my hard drive is too full, and I feel the video quality is probably going to be about the same as on RuTube anyway. Maybe you upscale it somehow or something, but I mean, it's like I, I did old some VHS tapes. So yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> I did some upscaling to it. 
um, and I rendered it the best I could. So when I made that MySpleen torrent, which is like 35 gigs or so, like it's the best quality that's out there for these uh, dubs, as far as I, as far as I'm aware. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but I don't know to what extent upscaling really um, matters on this sort of thing. Like, it's it's not like you're remastering it frame by frame or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't have the masters to this. Um, I'm basing it off VHS rips um, and trying to do my best with what I've got. So it's like, yeah, you know, if I can just make the the screen bigger and it doesn't degrade the quality too bad, then I did okay. So. You take what you can get, but like, I don't, and I'm wondering if people are going to take like, I'm sure there might be someone out there that's going to do like a, a fan edit of adding in the, the Filipino dub to the discotheque releases. So then it's like a high quality um, video and then like these low quality audio of the English dub. Um, I don't have it in me to do a project like that because I've got other better things to do. But uh, yeah, I'm sure know. there's going to be someone uh, out there that would love to do that. So I don't know to what extent this show is edited in the English dub. That's there's true. One episode that's only 16 minutes, and uh, I I don't I, know what that was about. I think well, the, some of the episodes. I think the last half of the episodes we got some of those, like the opening and the transformation sequences and the endings were cut. It was just like the episode itself. So whatever the yeah, source so of that of came from, from, I don't know. Yeah, and then um, there were only a few that had that, but. Uh, it's so similar to a Voltron, like the sitting around by the robots and the ending and the, the designs of the characters. Yeah. Uh, and it's just everything about it is very reminiscent of uh, Go Lion. But this came and out that before it's, it's Voltron. This came out before Go Lion, right? Because this is all right. kind of the same formula. Right. And Voltron is just thought of as like by Americans as like the quintessential super robot show even though it came out kind of after the super robot trend was at its peak. Right. You know, like, it's from the 80s, but it's, it feels so much like a 70s anime. Well, it, ro- it, super it robots really were... have much of an influence of, like, real robot shows from the 80s as much as the 70s. So. Yeah, I mean, like, robots were still a big thing in the 80s. I mean, they eventually kind of fizzled out, um, but they were really big. Like, they were still big in, like, by the mid-80s. Yeah, but it came out, like, only a year or so before Robotech, you know, but, like, this story is so much simpler, and mm-hmm. uh, not that there isn't some continuity between some episodes or anything, but, uh, you know, it's it's not as much of a, you know, involved, uh, you know, there's not as much romance or uh, politics or anything as sort of Macross had, and it's, it's more of a, you know, they fight the big monster every week, and yeah. they, Always kill it the same way with the same attack at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a goofy animal mascot. In this show, it's uh, instead of mice, it's a uh, octopus robot. <laughs> well, um, I mean, the robot doesn't—they don't—they don't like upgrade it. It's not like Mazinger Z where it has to become Great Mazinger thirty episodes in. It's not like it changes the design. The design's the same, but they do the upgrades internally into the robot. So then it can shoot this like big electro orb out of the sword, as they call the the laser sword, which I don't even think that's actually the name of it in, in Japanese. It's 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 a regular sword, but they call it the laser sword, and there's no kind of lasers on it. Um, I think they call it that, like the caption on Star Wars, or maybe like if you call it laser, it seems less extreme to a parent or something. 
Like, if you're being incinerated by a laser sword, it's not as gr- gruesome as just being sliced up by a sword. <laughs> but there's a regular sword that came out of the robot. That's the thing. There's nothing yeah. lasery about it. It's not freaking Star Wars. I mean... <laughs> well, they do the same thing in Voltron. They call it a blazing sword, I think. Even though it's not, like, on fire or anything, really. It's just a sword. But it, it makes the enemy, like, explode. So maybe that's, like, the English people trying to explain, like, here's why it's doing it. It's because it's, like, a special sword or something. Yeah, a sword that only can explode people. Uh-huh. I mean, not like cutting them was going to be any more effective, so... Um, it's not like they have some explanation, like, uh, Shishio has his sword stained with human fats so that it will uh, ignite when it touches people and explodes. <laughs> oh, yeah, because you've been watching Roni Kenshin recently. Yeah. No, I remember that, yeah, because he's, like... Shishio has, like, this, like, sort of, like, uh, uh, these grooves on his sword, and then he, like, uses that to ignite the fire, fo- like the fat on it because it's flammable when he strikes it a certain way or whatever. Kind of like those old westerns where people like will like light a match on their face because their skin is so callous from the desert and, you know, there's no th- such thing as skin conditioning cream back in 1860. Um, so it's kind of like that in a way. I guess he's got like a big callus on his thumb, but whatever. That's Roni Kenshin and we're talking about Voltus 5. So. <laughs> uh, so I can go ahead and get started. So Voltus 5 centers around this uh, alien race that's invading the planet called the uh, Bazonians. Um, yes. And basically, they're out to rule the galaxy, and, and the, the person leading the invasion force of Earth, Earth is by a man named Prince Zardos, or Zardos, or whatever. And he's got his two lackeys, which is a woman named Sandra, and which winds up being like a, a love interest for him at the end of the series, if it you know, wasn't already apparent, kind of. And then there's this big red dude... Um, oh my gosh, I know the name. Draco, that's it, yeah. So it's this big, bulky dude named Draco uh, that looks like basically kind of like Satan himself. He's got like, you know, a, um, a cross over his eye. So there's a one-eyed eye general. And the thing with these Bazonians is the fact that they have horns. Um, and so then they go, they go into detail behind the Bazonian race later in the series. Um, we're, basi- uh, we're basically, you know, why there's... Two, two different sects of the Bazonians. But, so apparently the, the, the Voltus team has been under special training for this invasion to happen, like, within a couple of years, I think. And so these, the members include three of them, which are brothers, which we, which is, um, Steve Armstrong, Big Bert Armstrong, not Big Bird, as I thought it was for 25 episodes. And then this little kid of theirs, which they call Little John Armstrong. Little John, he is like Pidge from Voltron, right? He has this annoying squeaky voice. Okay, yeah, let, let's... So it's like, I want to go to fix it in the middle of Voltron, never the television! It's so, like, you can't understand what the hell no, he's saying. you he's couldn't so understand. Alright, well, let me explain the rest of the characters and then we'll talk about them individually. So there's two more, which is this guy named uh, Mark Gordon who is like rides a horse and he's like an orphan or something. And then there's a, a woman named, the woman character named Jamie Robinson who is related to the uh, General of the Earth Defense Force, uh, protecting the Earth along with um, the Volta's team. And so her father is... Well, let's get, I'll, I'll go through each of these characters. So Steve Armstrong is the leader. Uh, he's in the red shirt. He's like the gunslinger because he has like a pistol and he's very quick on it. Um, he's the, like the hot-headed character of the show. Um, kind of at first, but then he really matures and is more um, level-headed. 
Um, him and Mark is the leader of the team, as always. The red character is yes, you know, Power Rangers or Voltron. Yes, or whatever. Uh, <laughs> whatever. Got you on. Yeah. So then the blue character is Mark, which he's like this um, very cocky and arrogant guy who's a, a, a rodeo rider, and somehow that qualifies him to pilot a super robot, or at least part of it. Um, he's kind of cocky, and also, and him and Steve go get at it like it's more of a personality conflict on how they think, but then they eventually always work things out. Um, Big Bird. Yeah, there's like this episode where he's got this horse, and he's uh, like insistent that uh, they, they, have they to go get rescue the horse, the horse. Out of there rather than like fight the enemy robot. Yeah, uh, and then uh, well, he thinks Steve is like killing the horse while they're battling for some reason. Yes, okay. And he starts like fighting Steve over it. We'll get we'll get into the we'll get into the I want to get into what's called the uh, the episodes the the character episodes where they don't want to do their jobs. Um, yeah, and we'll kind of rank we'll kind of rank it on who is the most incompetent Voltus pilot. All right, but we'll get to that in a second. So then we have Big Bert, which is the big guy. Just he's also like a ninja too. And I keep whenever I thought of him, I was like I thought I was like are they saying Big Bird? So then I just think of Sesame Street. <laughs> So yeah. you could just overdub his character with like the voice of Big Bird, and then like I always think of Draco was like Oscar the Crouch. <laughs> Today's the letter V, as in Voltes Five. I can assure you, I do not need a letter V. Oh well, then perhaps I can interest you in something that begins with the letter V, like this V V. Um, and we talked a little bit about Little John Little John they oh man so you can't when you start out this show at least in the Philippine dub that I have um, you can't understand a word he says like and I don't mean like oh ha 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 funny you know like you literally cannot understand anything he says Um, he sounds like he's went through puberty but then also not at the same time and has a very they must have given like that voice actor like the worst mic in the studio, which must have been just a, a tin can with a string attached to it, because it sounds so echoey. And, <laughs> and you made fun of his voice already, but like you're listening to him, and you're like, and you're just like, I can't understand a damn thing that's coming out of his mouth. Oh, what brother? I have been waiting to go to a competition for so many years. You cannot stop me from going metal boat competition. <laughs> that's exactly we're not making it up that's exactly how he talks in this show <laughs> until um, the last five episodes when they recast them yeah you could understand him to... he was actually like oh he's not that annoying <laughs> yeah they got different voice actors for those last five <laughs> yeah. so it it's like, oh, thank God, they finally got rid of that kid. They didn't. They didn't like take like the studio fam, like studio head's family that like they forced him into like a recording studio for a weekend or something. It's like they found they actually found real actors to dub the last few episodes of the show. Yeah. Um, and then of course we have the woman character, uh, Jamie Robinson. Um, as we said, she's the ninja. She's 
does emo- women things like being overly emotional over certain stuff and but she's actually kind of like she's one of the best characters um I, I don't know like I, I guess like they're kind of sort of balanced in their own way and like you know Jamie's just as important she's not like oh she's just a, a you know a pair of hot you know you know legs and breasts and on a that pilots a robot like she actually has you know compassion and like there's an episode where she's trying to st- teach Steve compassion uh, so that he can feel bad for, like, this one guy who lost his parents because the Bozanians, like, completely wrecked his town. So there's all this, there's, there's stuff like that. And, all right, so now I want to get into the characters of, like, how they do the stupid stuff that they did. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Jamie, I feel like she does the least amount of stupid stuff. Like, there's one episode where, uh, well, I guess this relates to the Little Dawn episode that we've been hitting at. But, like, where he wants to put his boat in some competition. And Jamie's like, Steve, just let off on him and uh, let him do it because it's what he's been looking forward to for a whole year. And, yeah. Uh, and that's like the that's like her main like flaw is that she was like too soft on Little John that one time. But I think she, she's kind of like the mother to Little John and Steve is kind of like the father or something because their parents are not there because it's anime. Yeah. I, yeah. Like I said, I mean, she's there, very like essential. She dies. Yeah, cause, because Jamie and Steve kind of like they... they kind of uh, feed, um, not really, I guess maybe feed off each other, but they're the sort of the good parents of um, of Little John, but then they got, like, Bird, who's always agreeing with Steve, like, yeah, you, sh- you should listen to Steve, he is always right. And then Mark is always like, well, I don't know, he can do whatever he wants, he's a kid, he knows, what he needs to learn what it's like to be an adult or something. <laughs> but, no, the mod- so, like, okay, there's... So yeah, Jamie I think is the, one of the most responsible ones. Um, there's like in terms of episodes, she's only ran off the base maybe once. I think at most twice. The one I can think of specifically is when she escape. She leaves the team because her dad's base is getting invaded by the Bozanians, and she goes to rescue him. And then as soon as she rescues him, the father <laughs> B slaps her across the face. It's like, why are you doing leaving your team? That's not what you're not trained to do. Don't act on your emotions. Quit being a woman. Go back and get into the get into the robot. <laughs> Go make yeah. the robot woman. And she's like, you're fine. You're right, father. I'm sorry. And he's like, it's okay. I forgive you, but you have a job to do. And it's to save the earth and not worry about me. Yeah, the, I think that there was that. That was uh, when the, they had that new general that came on that was trying to. Usurp the power, and she like throws the ninja star into his throat, and uh, thinks that he's dead. But then he's, oh, well, uh, he's not. no, that's that, that's a different instance. Where she goes to, oh shoot, no, she no, she had permission to to disconnect from Voltus Five, and it was to go inside the base, and that's when she ran across that that new general that yeah you know, was circumventing um, General Zaldas as like commander or whatever. Oh, but that that's yeah. different. Like that that wasn't her just leaving. Where like she had to be with her team. They're like, yeah, you got, um, yeah, Jamie, you got five minutes to do whatever. Like I think we're going to be good up here, getting like blasted the bits. We can hold off. Um, but yeah. she went in there for a purpose. Um, this is the basic formula of these combiner robot type shows: is that there'll always be something that drags some one member of the team off to uh, do their own plot. Yeah. And then everybody else is flying around in the four separate things saying, we can't combine. And they're like blasting at the enemy, spinning top, <laughs> ultra destructive beam, and all that kind of stuff. 
Uh, what and, was uh, I? I like how there's the one episode. As soon as Doctor Hook takes over, he like put he puts the whole team in like maneuvers where it's just spin really really fast and barrel roll like a million miles a second or something. And it's an attack where they combine together, and that's how they defeat the one beast fighter. And then they never do that move again. Yes, that's another thing that that, that they do also in Coldline is the animation <laughs> of the pilot spinning around as the the. The, the the machine is like uh, you know going out of control. I, I remember they had like bumpers of that on uh, like the multi-era of Toonami of yeah. the pilot just spinning around because that happens so often on there. But, but they only do that really in this one episode here. But I think they probably think the Lion writers like saw this episode and they're like, hey, we can reuse that footage over and over in our show. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, like, I well, that's gonna save time on animation. Just reanimate people spinning. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that was like the crushing. most effective attack that, that Voltus 5 have, and then again, they never brought it back after that one beast fighter. I guess it's the fact there's no need to do it, because once you have the laser sword that shoots the lightning orb out of it, then like there's no point of doing the spin attack thing. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but we talked about Little... So Little John's episode was like... The one that stuck out to me was him running off to do a boat competition that wanted to be blown up by the Bozanians anyways. So then, you know, like, it was like, oh, he, nobody won at nothing at all. Um, yeah, they're, like, sending these little boats out, and then this, like, sea serpent robot pops out. Yeah. And them all. And then he's, like, freaking out, and then they have to go rescue him. And so that's, that's probably, like, the main one. But he does it more than the others, screwing up. Because there's also the one where he, like, Builds the little robot octopus. Yeah, and then they get onto him for like, you, you don't need to be spending your time, you need to be training. And he's like, no, I want to build a robot, it's the one that makes me happy, or something. And, yeah. and then the robot, then the, robot the robot, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the robot winds up helping him, but he had to disassemble the robot to fix the machines. That was his fault of why they got blown up in the first place. And then he winds up making the robot again, so then like, everyone's happy. <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't really. There's not like some lesson in that one. Like, don't build robot octopus and take them with you because they just keep taking the robot octopus. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So then there's the episode of Mark where um, where he tries to rescue a horse, and he leaves the team to go make sure to save his horse, and then him and Steve get at it or something because he thinks Steve blew up his horse in the city. Um. But then like. Yeah, Mark gets the horse, and then we don't see the horse for, like, 20 more episodes. So I guess it's just, the like, aimlessly running survived. around, crapping inside uh, Big Falcon or something. I don't know. Yeah, the horse survived, but he thought it was, like, killed by some missile that Steve blew up or something. Yeah, that Steve fired, and he's, like, blaming him. And But then the, the, the horse, yeah, it lived, but then it isn't really ever useful. Uh, yeah, it's not episode. like they, they, they make the horse, and they don't, you know, like, do the... um the horse from G-Gun, and we're like, you know, the Voltus 5 can ride on it. Well, speaking of, so, and Big Bird, I can't, I know there's probably an episode where he, like, you know, like, went to go do his own thing, but I can't remember it right now, so he's... I don't remember either. Yeah. He's not very, like, I have... He's not a very uh, well-developed character, really. Yeah. He kind of just stands there, like, dopely, like, I agree with Steve, brother. Yeah. That's kind of like what he does. 
So let's talk about the the beast fighters in this. So the the Bozanians make beast fighters to take over, which is the monster of the week. They try to take over the earth, and the beast fighters are some pretty character creative character designs. But it's not just the designs that are creative; it's how they defy the physics. And specifically, there was that one beast fighter that is on a horse. It's like a knight on a horse, and it can just float. It can just stay in the air. There's like there's. No- it's just somehow like they fight in like in the middle of the sky or whatever, and they're just standing on like on, on like there's nothing showing that they're hovering or whatever. They're just standing in like negative space, just because they can. <laughs> and I'm like, how does this work? Yeah, there's not much physics in this show. Yeah, um, but that happens a few times. Like I think what was it like the one the beast fighter they have was like the 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 warrior that looks like a Comanche a Comanche Indian. And, like, even he was just standing in negative space just because. And, like, all they did was just, like, make him big. I mean... (laughs) Well, I think my favorite was there was this, like, ant-type or beetle or something, a Bolsanian, that had these, like, pincers sticking out of its face. And he was like, I am this best fighter, Bargamos! And I I just found his voice to be amusing. (laughs) Oh, man. Well... So speaking of the Bozanians, so then we have um, we mentioned the, the three main characters, um, but there was also a scientist that worked for him called like uh, Zol or whatever, and Zol was this like Weasley scientist guy that was trying to backstab Prince Zardos, and he somehow found the free time to make a secret base um, underground or something on the Earth, and like you know with little little to no supervision until like. You know, Prince Zardos is like, where the heck is that scientist guy? We need him. And it's like he, his whole, like, I remember, like, half the plot was, like, him trying to hide, make sure that Prince Zardos doesn't know what he's up to. And it's like, like, how often do you guys have, like, team meetings or something where, like, you have to discuss, like, how to beat Volt- Voltus 5? It seems like it's on a daily basis that they're fighting Voltus 5. And, you know, like, you have to be there to say, like, this is my new mechanical beast fighter or something. So it's a lot of traveling between like the underground base that you know the Prince Zardos is staying in, and then also wherever Prince uh, or uh, Zol has this like two research labs at because he wanted he doesn't have, just have time to make one he's got time to make two and this is all under Prince Zardos's nose and nobody knows what he's doing and that doesn't make any sense either. Yeah, this is sort of like again like Voltron where they have the, this like the Witch Hagar. And Lotor and the King's Archon, and they're all scheming to like poison one another and take over the Empire and uh, then take credit for Voltron being destroyed. I mean, these people are always backstabbing each other on the show, (laughs) pretending to be loyal to one another. And they they, like bring in some like inspector from the uh, Empire in one episode that's trying to usurp power from from the Prince and all these different. Things like that that are always happening. Uh, I feel like some sort of drama. I feel like there's been like three inspectors from the planet Bozania to like to monitor or to, to check up or try to circumvent uh, Lord Zardos's leadership, and they wind up just either dying off that episode or just leaving or whatever. I know they had like three different people come in because there was one guy early that like only lasted an episode, and then he wound up dying. <laughs> Yeah, there was one like around episode like ten and eleven, I think. That, yeah. And uh, then the, then there was that the advisor 
and he lasted like maybe five or ten episodes. And he was called Zool. And then there was the general that came. See, along I thought. Later. See, I thought Zool was like there from the very beginning. Maybe and I, I think, think he, he. I think he came in after the after the first inspector. Okay. But yeah, they early on it was kind of just like the guy with the horns, uh, the red guy. Yeah. And the the, the, the prince and his uh, girlfriend or whatever she's supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when I saw these episodes, this was like two months ago, so that's it's been a while. Oh, so Steve is kind of like he doesn't really uh, do anything irresponsible by running off on his own or anything. He's kind of like the perfect superhero main character. Yeah, if he has a flaw, he's like maybe too harsh on Little John or something. But uh, overall, he's uh, kind of the um, most perfect. We can uh, we can talk about a little. I mean, (laughs) we can talk about the other pair. So. With Volsus Five, there's they're on the they're on a place called ba- uh, Big Falcon, which is like basically an island that looks like a bird or the shape of a bird. And um, the show starts out where basically there's a scientist that worked for the Armstrong brothers' um, father. Um, basically, that they worked on the space because of the Bazani invasion that happened. Maybe we probably should have mentioned this earlier, but we got so much into the characters. Um, or basically they're fighting off this invasion from the Byzanians, which is, which is already going to be coming. And their mother is part of this, uh, making sure that the Voltus team is fine. Um, and she only lasts two episodes. Um, where she yeah, basically... She goes all at the end. Yeah, she flies right into the mouth of the beast fighter and wishes them the best of luck to try to just, to save the planet. And you're just like, oh, snap. And then... Uh, Dr. Smith, who has been with the team for the first, like, 15 or so episodes, he dies off right when Dr. Hook comes in to, um, to replace over Dr. Uh, uh, Smith's uh, position or whatever. But then, but there was, like, no, there was actually a weird transition where, like, it was, um, Commander Robinson that was in charge of the base, because I guess he could just leave, like, his position at, like, protect, uh, you know, the Earth Defense Base or whatever. He's got some, like, meaningless colonel or major that's like, oh, yeah, you just just make sure, you know, you don't blow through the missile budget on destroying these things. Um, even though they must blow through their budget every single time a Byzantine attack happens because they shoot all this weaponry, weaponry at these beast fighters and it doesn't do anything really to slow them down. It's just, they're just there as fodder to <laughs> to delay time until the Voltus fi- uh, 5 robot comes out there and, and saves the day. Um, yeah, but Commander Robinson's <laughs> in charge and then eventually... Um, uh, Dr. Hook shows up and they have like and, to, and then eventually there's the there's a part where uh, Commander Robinson dies um, sort of towards like in the episodes like around 30 or so and Jamie's on the helicopter yeah we'll talk about that in this episode so Jamie so the, the monster of the week is like this big like rock diamond that if you put it on your finger it, it possesses you mentally because it's like some sort of experiment by Draco that they try, he tried on Sandra to see if it'll work, and it did. And so then, like, you know, like, Jamie's out wandering, and, you know, after visiting, um, doing something, and then she sees a diamond on the ground. Like, oh, this is pretty. I'm just going to randomly put it on, of course. And that's when she becomes possessed, and then she gets into, like, the military helicopter with her father. And then, like, everyone's able to figure out that she's possessed within, like, five seconds. And then, like, there's the beast fighter that's shooting, like, projectiles at the helicopter. 
And what's amazing about the show is the fact that, like, <laughs> the things that they go through should have killed them by episode three. <laughs> like, the cockpits of, like, Steve and, like, Big Bird are always being penetrated by the armor from the Beast Fighters. But it's just like, oh, it's just like it barely tore through, like, you know, like, oh, luckily, like, I'm three inches away from my impending doom or whatever. Um, and in this one, like, there's, like, these giant diamonds shooting out of the helicopter, and it can still stay afloat in the sky enough for Jamie to jump out of there, and then the helicopter explodes, and then that's how her father dies. Um, yeah, the main characters are never really injured. Like, they don't ever bleed or anything. Yeah. But everybody else is always getting killed. Yeah. Like, that's pretty much how these shows go. Yeah. It's not like uh, Voltron, where they kill off Sven in, like, episode 7 or something like that. Like, the main five are just, like, they have plot armor. They don't get killed. And, uh, you know, I guess uh, they didn't want to change it up or anything. And I guess the character dynamics work well enough. They didn't They didn't have to change yeah, it. Yeah, there is, there is such strong plot armor in this show. Like, it's, it, it's literally no joke. <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, I'm looking at it, I'm like, that's going to have to kill him. They gotta, they gotta die, and then they don't because of like some reason whatsoever. I mean, like there's that. I mean, like the episode where, um, I mean, we're getting it. Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I'll just go ahead and mention it because I remembered it. Was like, you know, Voltus Five is about, like, literally about to be killed, and then there's like a, a, a like a, a fast like sonic plane out of nowhere that shoots a laser beam at the, at the Beast Fighter. And that's enough for, like, Prince Zardoz. Like, okay, we're going to withdraw because we don't know what this new plane does. Even though Voltus Five is, like, in pieces on the ground. We can just destroy it and not worry about this plane and be done with this. And then they don't. Oh, yeah, that plane kept coming in and saving their asses for yeah. several episodes. So, now the plane is related to the brothers, the Armstrong brothers' father. So then this the show goes into this whole thing about how they believe their father's been killed or, or disappeared or whatever. And so, obviously, spoiler alert, um, we find, yeah, the father's not dead, and he's actually, like, in charge. And keep using, like, fake fathers to fool them and stuff. Okay, so, (laughs) well, let me explain, let me explain the father thing, because I'm going to talk about one of the best episodes. Um, I even put this on the clip of this on Twitter. Um, we're basically like Dr. Armstrong's on planet Bozania. He's in charge of a resistance group over these uh, two factions, which there's like the Bozanians that have horns and the ones that don't. And for like, for a while you think like, Oh, had the Bozanians been abducting humans and using them as like slave labor for however many times. And that's like, no, there's Bozanians that are born with horns and those that are not. And the ones that are have horns are like part of like like this nobility family or whatever. So, you know, if you have horns, you're like you're set for life. You have like basically um horn privilege. <laughs> it's a Bozanian privilege, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um and then if you don't have it, you're just a lesser commoner and, you know, like you're a victim or whatever and you're going to be a slave. Um so then they wind up having this uh, breakout where they, uh, Professor Armstrong is flying back with a group of these survivors and they, you know, it's, they pretty much almost don't all make it. Um, <clears throat> so eventually Professor Armstrong's on earth. Um, uh, but we'll get into that to later on that. But so then <laughs> the Bozanians know that they, uh, the Armstrong brothers want to see their father badly. I, I think there's probably an episode where they real, they, they have that, like they're able to figure it out. And 
So then they make a, a, a robotic Dr. Armstrong, like a cybernetic one, that is the biggest a-hole to these kids. Yeah, they so he's like down at the beach or something. Yeah. And uh, somebody runs into him, uh, and the, the the others get called in, and uh, he's like, oh, it is good to see you, my sons. Uh, now you must come to us and work for Bosania. Like, yeah. this is going to work. Yeah. Well, the thing was, it was like, oh, your father has been has been living in silence or like in secrecy at this like mansion that's like five miles from Big Falcon, that you know it's just a hop, skip, and a jump away, and so then they meet him out there, and he tries to like convince them to join Bozani, and they're like, no, father, that's not right. I don't know what's wrong with you, and he gets like really agitated, and he takes all his anger out on Little John, because <laughs> Little oh, yeah. John gets. Gets bitch slapped all the time. Like he gets backhanded. Every, like he like that's that's the punching bag. That that yeah, that's the punching bag son that the father takes his abuse out on. <laughs> the father, what is wrong with you? Why are you working with Bozania? Well, bam! <laughs> <laughs> no, father, what it's are like you like doing? Well, bam! <laughs> I told I told you to shut up. And then the other's like. Father, how could you do that to your son, Little John? And then, Why uh, would you not? Then they, <laughs> then they, like, pull out guns and, like, have a standoff. And, uh, oh. they just <laughs> so, let's, let's, let's get to the best part of that episode. So, like, uh, Professor Armstrong is on, like, a medical table. And he wakes up. And then Little John's like, Father, Father, are you okay? Whatever. And then, like, his first sports are, I must stop Big Falcon or whatever, like a robot. <laughs> And then he slaps Little John again, and the first thing out of the doctor's mouth is like, Hey, what's up? And then he gets back in the face across the room. I have to point a clip. I'll probably have to put it in this segment so people can hear how ridiculous that is. Um, I understand. I shall take over Big Falcon. What's wrong, Dad? Please don't try to stand up. So then he winds up taking, he comes out, he beats up all the nurses or whatever, comes out of the room, and these two guards looked at him like, oh, hey, Professor Armstrong, like, how's it going? There's this long pause there, like three seconds, and then then he slaps the soldiers, like, bam, bam! He takes yeah. their uh, he takes their weapons, the the gun, and then proceeds to storm to the to the command center. And then Little John's trying to like, Father, Father, what's going on? And then he gets, turns around and starts shooting at Little John. Yeah. And then it gets better when he goes in into the command center, and per- Commander Robinson is like, Oh, hey, Professor Armstrong, what's going on? We're just having a middle. We're just in the middle of a battle, like. No, no reason, like, hey, what are you doing with that gun? And then Professor Armstrong just whips it out and starts shooting all the men inside of the control room. And Professor, and then uh, Commander Robinson starts doing backflips because he's a fat 300 pound ninja. And that's how he escapes the control center. And. Oh, Dr. Armstrong, are you all right? You better lie down and take some more rest. 
What's got into you? Don't you recognize me at all? I'm Commander Robinson. What's wrong? Shut up. I'll take command from here. Don't try anything or I'll kill you. That clip is on YouTube, and I've played that entirely so people can hear it. <laughs> yeah, that's just the that, that, that the Commander Robinson. They show him like sparring with Jamie and like throwing her into the wall. Yeah, yeah. He's a very so agile, like, fat dude. Yeah, he's this like huge ninja who's in charge of the military. Oh gosh. Well, there's all, I mean, that's just like one of the crazy moments. I mean, I think I put the, some of the best ones on, on Twitter that I knew of in those early episodes. The other one was, um, there was a guy, like, that escaped Bosania. He was a spy to try to, like, put a bomb, I think, into, like, the base or something at, at Big Falcon. There was an episode of that. Um, no, okay. I think that was, like, the first attempt at putting a bomb. I, I don't know, but this guy was, like, supposed to, like, sabotage Voltus V, the scientist, and he winds up not doing it, or does it badly, because he does it for his daughter's sake, because she's in a coma. So then he's got his daughter in a, in a cave, and <laughs> eventually the, the the casket opens, and he's just like, oh, I get to finally be with my daughter, but he's wrong, because the daughter's possessed <laughs> vocally by Prince Ardos, and he's like, ha ha ha, you fool, you thought you could... <laughs> You thought you would have your daughter back. And this is all coming out of this little girl's mouth. And she's got these evil green eyes. And then they hear a ticking sound. And then I think one of them is like, that's the sound of a bomb. And then Steve is like, what? And then she explodes. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. You deceive us in order to save your child? Yes, I know I have done a terrible sin. Fortress 5 is the last defense of the human race. You can save the Earth, but not even you can save my child. I have no choice but to follow Prince Sardos. Look, it is opened. I don't really care if I die as long as my daughter is alive. You miserable humans. That voice, it's... Your daughter is already dead. What you now see is a robot, and it has a bomb set to blow off. What? Wilson! That's, uh, that's how Japan did things. Yeah, this was a show totally approved for kids, and I stand by it. Apparently, uh, this episode made it by Ferdinand Marcos, and it was only until, you know, five episodes before the end that he decided to cancel this. Yeah. It's, it's just like some of the ridiculous stuff in this show. Like, that's, that, uh, to me, that was one of the highlights. Another one is like, they're on this, like, I- jungle island, and they run into, like, the, like, this giant frog. And then, like, the frog eats a missile, and then it blows up, and Steve goes, ha ha ha, foolish toad. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have like giants, cope, like uh, you know, boa constructor snakes trying to wrap the the, the the fighters up, and so then you got like Jamie that uses like a um, some sort of knife attack, and it like decapitates the snake. 
It was just funny how, like, the frog eats the missile, and then there's a pause, and then it just explodes in a fireball. And he's just, his response is just to laugh at its, at its stupidity. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and that is, and that, I think that's why Voltus 5 is probably the greatest show that, um, Discotech Media has put out in a while. Um, they certainly don't make them like they used to. Japan, that is. Yeah, I, I do wonder what the, uh, what the, this is like in Japanese, you know, like, I, I assume he does say something like, haha, foolish toad, or something, because that's kind of like what he looks like when he's saying it, you know, like. Yeah. It seems like that would be his reaction. I'm sure the subtitles would be like, oh, what a fool, or something like that. But the yeah. dub is just what sells it. Baka <laughs> Kerororo, or whatever you, however you say that in, in Japanese. Yeah. But yeah, these all these dubs are, I, I, I don't know why they're not included. Uh, maybe some licensing issue. They've had some obscure dubs before for things like Lupin and uh, Gundam. Yeah. But it would be, it would be cool if they did include it, but uh, I guess they couldn't for some reason. Well, I guess we can go ahead and, and talk more about... We can finish up the rest of the show. Um, so regarding Dr. Armstrong, because um, we went into the whole bit of that, just that one episode. So he comes back to Earth, and the, it basically like it goes into this plot story of like them trying to find their father um, for like the rest of the half of the show, where basically like uh, Zul has... It's interesting because Zul has... Um, Dr. Armstrong and it's like one of his secret layers underwater. And then he, he fabricates this whole escape plan with a fake Voltus 5 team to, to free his father to put him in another um, facility that's also run by him to, so he can try to make convince him to build a Voltus 5 robot because it was all a ploy to make it look like he, like, you know, the Voltus team saved him and took him to a secret area and so then, like, please build us a better robot, which was, which was Zol's plan to build his own robot to then backstab, um, Prince Zardos. But then <laughs> Dr. Armstrong realized this was all, he saw right through the fluke immediately because it was, like, going back to, like, how Voltus 5 robot got destroyed and, but the pilots escaped. And then the pilots broke in and took out all the soldiers or whatever, and they knew how to fly a Bozanian ship. And then Dr. Armstrong is like, when he goes to the secret base, he's just like, yeah, um, I knew this was all bullcrap from the beginning. You're not Dr. Hook or Dr. Smith. I know what's up. Like, first of all, those pilots you've got, they would never abandon their ship. They're, they're, they're trained to, to, to survive until the bitter end. They're not there to escape. So you messed up there. They also don't know how to fly one of your ships. So that's not going to work either. I saw through your guys. Get me out of here. But then they go in this whole... So then, like, I mean, Professor Armstrong's still on the on the Earth because they think he's dead after a, a battle where he fell off the side of a cliff and into the water, and they think, like, he's gone forever. At least the sons do. Or they believe he's still alive, and even uh, Draco still thinks he's alive, too, but then that winds up being confirmed. Um, is this before he's like uh, being held hostage in space and they have to decide whether or not to attack? Uh, Doctor Armstrong, you mean? Yeah, you know, there's this one where he's like in a glass tube or something in front of this like Bolzanian base in space or something. Well, that's and no, that's before. Like, he... Oh, we have to we have to go ahead and attack because they've used a fake one before. Yeah, but th- that that was before. Um... 
That was before this. Yeah, okay. no, that's before he got. That was just like I think his way on to Earth because I think Zol took um, Professor Armstrong to Earth somehow and then had him captive there. Um, but Armstrong is like running basically a secret like resistance base with the people that survive like when they were attacked in space, including some other commander. Which is the commander was the one that flew the ship like later in the show. That was the one that like gave Voltus Five time to not get destroyed. So that's when, the, and then eventually you find out that like this commander guy spills the beans when he goes to um, Big Falcon um, and he's about to die or whatever, and he gives the whole backstory on where the suns come from, which they wind up being spoiler alert related to their Bozanian blood by their father because their father was a Byzantium prince that was born without a horn and it was he was kept secret for many years and then he married a woman that had a horn and then she wanted to relieve and revealing to her that he wouldn't have it and she was like I love you either way and then there was a position of power a power struggle for being elected and then wind up a secret coming out and then our Dr. Armstrong escaped from Bozania the first time and went to Earth to basically build his base find his second wife there and then had the Armstrong brothers <clears throat> before going back place. to Bozania to start up the resistance and then come back to Earth only to go back to Bozania again. The first wife is the one that he has a Prince Zardos with, right? Yes. So then the other the other um, thing with uh, going to the Prince Zardos' backstory, he talks about his nobility um, and how like he's been a disgraced prince or whatever because of his backstory. Involving his father, and then it wind yeah, up that's mentioned in like the episode where the inspector comes, and he's like, "Oh, I'm insecure that they might remove me from the because I can't defeat Voltas Five, and my father was a disgraced royalty." Yeah, so it's kind of like foreshadowing that later on, that like the last episode, they revealed that he was the, the yeah, brother that of the both... Steve Big Bird, Little John. Yeah, because all those those stories all like convert together, and which I found really interesting because it was like kind of like a a throwaway story with Prince Zardos, and like you know you you don't see this coming, and then you know right at the end of the last episode, and then you know like Prince Zardos is about to take his life, and then like um, when they're on Bo- planet Bozania, um, and we'll, well I guess we'll explain how they got there. But then, like, and then Star Armstrong is like, wait, what's the coat of arms on the dagger you're about to kill yourself with? It should, if it's two dove birds, that's my coat of arms. And then Zardos realizes, like, you know, Dr. Armstrong is his real father, biological father, because he heard that his wife, his Bozanian wife, died during, during childbirth or something. And so then, of course, Zardos is raised by his corrupt uncle who's in charge of all of Bozania or whatever. And you you hope it's a really good ending where like and they, it kind of it works out in a way where like Zardos like it accepts like you know like Armstrong brothers and Steve Armstrong, um, you know someone that he's vilely hated like this whole series. It's like you know like oh you're all my brother and I want to love you, and then circumstances happen where he basically um, dies um, or gets burned up. So, which is kind of a sad ending, uh, but I think it's a good ending on on the show. Um. <laughs> Early on, there was like an episode where they uh, mentioned to him and uh, Draco and the uh, other guy, the other woman, whatever her name is, Sandra. Yeah, Sandra. I think Zool tells them that uh, the Voltus Five pilots uh, feel love for one another, and that this could be their vulnerability, 
and then Zardos is, and the others are just cracking up, and they're like, these are lower life forms, they do not have emotions. And so he must have been, like, uh, shocked that he uh, was related to these people that he hates and considers inferior, and so he decides to just burn himself. Yeah, well, they test the theory if the, if the, the Armstrong brothers are really blood-related, because it was something Draco did, where... He infected them with some sort of bi- like uh, biological like germ or something in one of the later episodes that was only like only like if they were a Bozanian they would be immune to it. So it only wind up infecting like Jamie and Mark. So then like the scientists at ba- uh, Camp ba- uh, Base Falcon they take blood samples of the Armstrong brothers and use it as a vaccine for Mark and then uh, and Jamie. So really that kind of makes Mark and Jamie Bozanians in a way also. <laughs> Um, but then of course, yeah, this is a common thing in uh, anime. It okay, seems like where they have one of the heroes be like uh, associated with the enemy uh, race, like in uh, you know, in Yasha, the main character is a demon, or in uh, Bleach, he's like part Soul Reaper, part Quincy, part Visored, and all these different things. Yeah, or Naruto, he has the nine-tailed fox in him, or Goku's a Saiyan. You know, it's like. This seems to be like really. I don't. I don't know why this is such a common trope, but they. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe it's to make you feel like uh, sympathy with uh, other races or something to try to teach Japanese people to not be as racist or something like that. Yeah. But uh, they they do that a lot in, in anime. I've noticed, and so that this is another example of that where they're all Bolzanians and uh, it, it doesn't give them some like special power. Like sometimes you'll have like. You know, their their special ability to pilot the robot is because they're new types or something in Gundam. Yeah. In this, they you can't even tell that they're Bolzanians. They don't have horns or anything, and it doesn't seem to make them any better than Jamie and Mark at piloting robots or anything. Yeah. But it's just there. I think I, I think I kind of explained. Yeah, and that's pretty much it on the backstory for Prince Zardos. Um, but of course, Camp A Falcon, like. Doctor Armstrong was developing this like this spaceship that connects to Camp Bay Falcon because Camp Bay Falcon is actually a spaceship in itself, and then the two combine to become a super spaceship, and then that's how they get to Bazania, um, to for the final battle of the episode. And it was just interesting how like how dedicated. Um, I mean, I really like Zardos as a character. Like later, like he's like you know really passionate and emotion and full of emotion to like be dedicated to the the true cause of being a Bozanian. <clears throat> Even so that, um, Sandra like confesses her love to him and he's still like, I, I, this is like, you know, my destiny is to protect this planet and our, our, our way of life and our nobility. And then she winds up getting killed on his behalf and he just kind of feels like he lost everything. And then he dives into the flames of like a statue that's supposed to grant him like, some path to like becoming the ultimate warrior and then it winds up just being a tunnel to get into a robot that's like covered in like this Bozanian leader like statue or whatever so that's how Voltus 5 and then the Bozanian robot fight or whatever which I was like kind of it was kind of trippy in a way but it was it was pre- still pretty cool yeah he was going to like go battle Voltus 5 and uh yeah he was going to sacrifice Sandra, himself Sandra thought he was going to die so she like shoots him with a tranquilizer gun yeah at one point, so that was like to show how much they love each other and try to, I guess, humanize the enemy characters and uh, 
uh, Sandra doesn't really do much. She kind of just, uh, other than that moment, she kind of just sits around in the throne room in most of the episodes. Yeah, she's she doesn't really command anything. She'll just kind of maybe like give some like, oh, Highness, can I make a suggestion? I mean, she's yeah. basically like a servant to Prince Zardos, which is kind of a, a you know, that's kind of like a, a submissive relationship to him and in a way like a marriage sort of. Um, because then she realizes how like how noble and dedicated and passionate Zardos is, and that's what she finds attractive about him. And all that he's gone through, so then she feels this emotional connectivity of like, you know, he's been through so much, and you know, I want to be by his side. That's the only thing that matters to me because I love him so much. Um, even though that wind up costing her her life in the end, where she's just like, you know, like, well, if you're gonna go out, then I'm gonna go out with you, and I'm gonna protect you or whatever, and sacri- sacrifice myself for you, which is what she does. Man, yeah, it's sort of like again to draw the Kenshin into it, like how Yumi jumps in front of uh, Kenshin to save Shishio. And uh, he then Shishio stabs her through the heart uh, in order to get at Kenshin. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'm so grateful that I was useful to you. Like, that's the level of dedication to their man that Japanese women have. Yeah. Well, I think it's... Or I, the idealized Japanese woman in a Japanese cartoon. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's really, like, boils down to, it, like, the woman's kind of na- natural nature to, su- to submit to the person that they love. And how, like, they're very emotional. And they'll, they'll basically are that sacrificial to make sure that the needs of, of the person they love are met above theirs. Um, in terms of, you know, like, some of these, like, you know, like female fan fiction writers that, especially, like, young women that write. Um, I was looking at that, like, one that I found, discovered her off of um, <laughs> Encyclopedia Dramatica, Sephiroth Slave or whatever. Like, she wrote a lot of fanfics, like how dedicated she was to just be like, she considered Sephiroth her husband, even though she like wrote all these fanfics about how like, a, it seems like he's just an, you know, abusive based on his character or whatever, and tries to defend him because that's just showing how much dedication she has to this one character. She's infatuated with and has been for most of her adolescent li- and adult life. Um, yeah. That's but there's like this common trend there like where like that. these, like, yeah, how they just, you know, submit and throw themselves at these powerful, strong men character or male characters. Yeah, yeah, I I, I saw that article you linked to the other day about her, and it, it did feel like kind of a throwback to uh, almost a, a simpler time of fangirls, where uh, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at kind of Web 1.0 fangirls, that's people like gushing over uh, Sephiroth. Or Sashomaru or yeah, some other it's the bad, bad boy. Bitchy. The bad boys. Yeah, I I can change him. Or I, yeah. I he's not that bad of a guy. He's just so tormented. He needs a good woman that can show like if I can love him, then he'll know what real love is like. And it's it, it, I mean it, it's yeah. it really it's a fantasy, but like you know, and, and it's not really just a fantasy, but also happens in real life where. There's a lot of good-natured women that are end up with a bunch of douchebag guys, and it's like, why? You know, he's not good for you, and then they, but they're so emotionally connected to them that they they want that's more important than their own logic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are obviously problems with that sort of uh, way of thinking. Uh, uh, it, it's uh, it's human nature, but like it's also the fact, like you know, if you're a guy and you have a woman that dedicated, that's like you know a very special person, and you shouldn't treat her like you know pure shit. But, uh huh. But, uh, but yeah, they, they had. Uh, it, it just makes me think of you know. You compare that to uh, sort of what you think of as far as female fans nowadays, where it's more of a like these characters exhibit 
toxic masculinity and uh, this sort of thing. You think back on the like internet of the early 2000s and, you know, even though she's crazy and she thinks she's like having sex with him on the astral plane and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. It's almost like just like kind of a harmless fantasy. It, 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 yeah. Not, it, 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 it's uh, no, it's no different than a, a guy writing a fanfic on how he gets all the women. I mean like, you know, it's James Bond. I mean like, you know, you get all the women and that you want, you desire that, that their submission and, and love to you from them. I mean like it, it works both ways. That's just how we're made. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if that can def- and that's definitely proven in, in fantasy novels also. No matter how terrible, terribly written they are, they're kind of all the same formula. And you know, like it's 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 interesting how like you know the internet tries to go after these people and like, oh, look how terrible this person is for believing that way. But it's like it's 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 what they want to write. Like I'm not gonna get onto them for what they like. That's stupid. That's just a uh, yeah. I mean, I, I remember maybe a few years ago, sort of like a moral panic about uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Like, oh, why are women reading this stuff? It's uh, it's all about, uh, you know, submission and BDSM and all this stuff or what, whatever. I, I obviously haven't read it or seen the movie or whatever. Yeah. But people were like, who were just upset. Like, oh, this shows like women are not enlightened enough and they need to learn that they, they don't need men and this sort of thing. And, uh, you know, people like JT were all like, oh, why is this movie doing so well in the box office? It's so regressive. And, <laughs> but, I mean, I think it does get at something deep about... Uh, it gets at, it gets at a very simple thing of, like, this is what women like. This is... this is They're, they're designed to, lo- to enjoy and love stories like this and characters like this. But, yeah, because it's just... That's their fantasy also. Um... Yeah, it's just as a result of, like, the nature between... Yeah, but it's no different than, like, you know, a guy's fantasy where, like, the women are beautiful and sexy and dress that way and they all want to have sex with the, with the male character because that's also the fantasy, too. And it, it's it, they both complement each other. Um, and, again, that's just human nature. Um, yeah. And that's... I mean, to me, it's not it's not entirely wrong, but it's, like, also there's sort of, like, an unhealthy factor to it if it... Depending on the level of... Um, how deep it can go. Um, yeah. Uh, the, 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 there was, like, some other one also mentioned on that article of, like, some other woman that was uh, into Sephiroth. And I clicked on it, and she was uh, not as attractive as the oh, other Summer one. Oh, Summoner Yuna? Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, that was kind of like a common thing in the early 2000s of uh, yeah. people thinking that kind of way about... You know, Shadow the Hedgehog would probably be another example of, like, people in the furry community, like, <laughs> thinking that Shadow is their boyfriend or whatever. Was, he's so angsty. He has all these uh, problems. I can replace Maria. Or, you know, this, yeah, I, I, I'm a... Why is he over this girl? I'm better than her. It, it's kind of like... I mean, it's really like kind of how like porn is. Like, you get like some, some fat slob like Ron Jeremy banging chicks, but it's... You're not watching porn for Ron Jeremy, you're watching porn for the hot chick that's being banged by Ron Jeremy going, why is she with that guy? I'm better than him. I look better than him. I'm, I got a better looking body. So, uh-huh. like, that ought to be me banging that porn star. I mean, <laughs> and that's the uh, yeah, fantasy. Well, I, re- I remember in high school, uh, Josh w- was into this uh, girl called Sarah that went to his church. I, re- I and- remember these stories. And yet she was, like, too into, like, Shadow the Hedgehog. And so she was always, like, drawing him during church. And he would, like, try to hold her hand or something. 
And she'd be like, no, I'm asexual. I'm into furries. And it's like, oh hmm, boy, you know, maybe this is a little unhealthy. That, that's <laughs> a, that's a red a flag right there, Josh. And he, he got it eventually. So, <laughs> I mean, not to throw him under the bus. Definitely not to throw him under the bus. So, I'm, I mean, we were teenagers, whatever. I, I know, exactly. You're teenagers. I, you're merely freshmen. But he was like basing his schedule around in like school, like around trying to take the same classes as her and get her interested. And she was like too interested in like Sonic the Hedgehog and Shadow and all this I, stuff. I started. knew she, I knew he was having an, like a hard time trying to have her interested. I didn't know if it was over Shadow the Hedgehog. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, kind of like people get so autistic about like their weird little fandom interest or whatever that they kind of disconnect from real people, the real world. Yeah, and don't realize that this is a relationship you shouldn't be having with a some sort of idealized like character, and it should be with an actual human being instead. Yeah, and it's not like this is a sole problem of girls or whatever. You know, obviously you have uh, like the people who. Uh, bring around on their iPad to a con, like, a picture of their waifu so that they don't feel like they're... Uh... Alone? <laughs> Alone, yeah. I remember there's some guy who, like, did a panel about his waifu or something. I... Years ago. And he I think some... I remember that. I, I... Some girl on his iPad with him the whole time so that they could talk together about their relationship. Or... <laughs> yeah, that is that is the extreme like, creep like factor. Real-life real Krieger from Archer or something. <laughs> I, the thing is, like, you want it, like, if you're going to a con as a single person, like, you're there, like, all right, I got this whole market of women that I can hopefully, you know, meet someone and talk to someone and, and build a, a real relationship, a strong, real relationship. I'm open, so there's nothing holding me back. There's no baggage on me whatsoever. Like, that's kind of, like, the right mentality to go about it. Yeah, it's, like, you can't... Anyways... <laughs> So, we got up on a big tangent here. <laughs> I, I know. Did we have anything else to say on Volta Survive? <laughs> I, Ultra Magnetic Beam! Uh, yeah, I don't know what else there is to say about this show. Ultra Magnetic Pop! Yeah, that's, that's right. Panzer <laughs> I, I don't know what the, the deal is. Like, who thought that having a top would be, like, a good weapon? Yeah, like it, it's like a, a useless yo-yo that kind of, like, it gets exploded. I, I think it's been, like, effective, like, not even 10% of the time, whenever, like, if you take the entire time. It's it's used about every episode. And about, have you taken the factor of all of the episodes, about 10% of it, of when it's been used, has been effective. Like, well, there's, oh, so let's talk about, yeah, let's talk about the Voltus uh, 5 uh, mechanics and the weaponry. I think my favorite is, um... The freaking gonorrhea attack, where like it shoots like fire out of its penis, or like the crotch area. I just call it the gonorrhea attack. I don't know why, but and that seems to be super effective. <laughs> uh, yeah, it seems like they always end up using the sword at the end, which makes you wonder why don't they just uh, form the robot and then use the sword at the beginning of a free battle? <laughs> yeah, it's like that's how they draw it out. <laughs> yeah. Um. So there's the top, there's the finger missiles, there's the bazooka arm, there's the claw arms, uh, we got the whips, which is basically a belt, um, and then of course the laser sword. And what I find it interesting is how, like, the laser, there's, a, there's, when they cut up the monster with the laser sword, it's not just any slice, they do it with style, like Zorro, where they make a giant, they carve a giant V 
into always. the robot always, and then it explodes <laughs> in a giant bee. Yeah, Moltes Five yeah, has got style. Has, like, a nuclear style explosion, and then yeah, uh, then it's over. <laughs> then they go back to base. And it's like we learned a very important lesson today. <laughs> Never put your feelings before that of the team. Remember, puppy dogs are good backups to fighting giant wolf beast, beast monsters. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you saw that episode and how ridiculous that was, right? Yes, where the puppy like jumps on and bites the tail of yeah. the enemy. <laughs> oh. Oh man. So yeah, we've been talking about Voltus Five for. About an hour and fifteen minutes. This is actually that's actually I think a fair amount of time to talk about a, a show like this. Um, yeah, we didn't mention that it, this was produced by Tomino, did we? Wait, it was. Yes. I because you asked me if it was a go in a guy show. I'm like, no, it's not going a guy. Hold on. Yeah, you you look up Voltes Five Wikipedia. It mentions that like. Holy crap! Yeah, it was produced by him. One of his pre-Gundam shows, like, Raiding and, uh... Okay. Uh, maybe he was on Combattler, too. I'm not sure. Well, he didn't direct this, so I wouldn't... I mean, it's still a Tomino show in a way, but, like, it's really up to the director. Um, well, I figured Tomino probably had a role in, like, causing all the characters to die. <laughs> oh, that's a... That's a good... That's, that's a good assumption. Yeah, I didn't... I didn't even bother looking up that Tomino was in this. Jeez. Uh, but it's directed by a guy named, uh... Tado Nagahama. Um, oh, he died back after the show came out. He actually wound up dying like not too long later. Um, oh yeah, he traveled uh, outside of Japan and got a uh, disease from a foreigner. Oh, oh, him and his wife contracted hepatitis while traveling him. overseas. Although his wife survived, he died from the disease at age forty-three. Sweet, but Jesus, that's horrible. Um, the only thing recently he did, I guess it was posthumous, was, uh, Ulysses 31. Uh, he worked on, he directed episodes of first 20 for Rose of Versailles, which is, like, always considered, like, a really good show that people like to talk about. I think, I think the license for that lapsed through right stuff recently. Uh-huh. Um, he's done some puppetry stuff, which I'm, I'll be interested in checking that out. Uh, for anime, it's his robot shows have been writing, Combattler V, Daimos. I think, yeah. uh... This is considered to be part of the Super Robot Romance Trilogy, I think they call it, which was, uh, Volta's Combattler and Daimos. Yeah. Which I guess they tried to add, like, more, um, sophisticated character dynamics to the shows or something like that, and, uh... The, the, which probably explains why Sandra and uh, uh, the other guy, Zar, Zardo, what's he called? Wait, Prince Zardos? Prince, yeah, Zardos. I, I forgot to ask. Uh, why they have like a romantic relationship, kind of. And I, I, I guess overall there's not that much of it, though. Like, it's not like Jamie is dating any of them or anything. Yeah, yeah, I see down here uh, where it's. There's like one episode where uh, Jamie is like. Uh, Mark is trying to put the moves on her, and she kind of like isn't interested. And then she goes to her father's grave and is crying. And, uh, yeah. And then Mark was like watching from afar. He's like, "Oh, Jamie, you are such a strong woman. You must be truly hurting right now." 
It's like those damn Bozanians, we will get them. Yes. <laughs> I would never forgive them for making such a beautiful woman cry. Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, you have to watch it just for the acting and the accents and uh you have to you have to see this version of it. <laughs> I I, I, am, I assume, like, whatever whatever Discotech's putting out, it's gonna, the subversion is going to be fine. Like, I'm sure it's going to be, like, yes. probably straight-up adaptation, but, like, watching it dubbed has just been so much fun. And, like, yeah, I'm just, I was just, just as invested in the story as if I was probably going to watch the subversion. Yeah, I think you can probably enjoy it more if it's subbed. I mean, if it's dubbed. But uh, you can probably take it more seriously if you... If it's subbed or something, maybe. But I don't know if this sort of show should even be taken seriously. Well, I <laughs> in mean, general, I don't take anime that seriously. Yeah, it's it's it can only be so serious. It's be more entertaining. It can only be serious to a point. I mean, like how it, I think how the show ended, like with like Rosanian, like with Prince Zardos finding his his, his real, um, you know, backstory, and then how like you know the, their dad or Professor Armstrong is staying behind. Uh, Rebuild uh, the planet of Bozania. Um, I mean, it was, it's a, pretty much the best ending you could hope for. Mm-hmm. So it ends on a good note. Yeah. And for forty episodes, like it's it's totally worth the watch. Like it's, uh, you know, it's not like an eighty or ninety episode series or whatever. It's like straight up gets through the show. It tells you what you need to know, and that's it. Yeah, that's one of the positive things about mecha anime is that they rarely go more than one year. And uh, in this case, it only went, you know, three quarters of a year. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, Combattler V went 54 episodes. That's just 14 more than probably than what it needs to be. And then Dimos is 44 episodes, so Dimos is only four episodes more, so maybe that's probably the right amount. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know if maybe this was like Mobile Suit Gundam, where it was supposed to be a year long, and it was not successful, and so it only lasted... uh, nine months, or maybe it was intended to be this length, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, there, there's not very many that actually lasted more than a year. There's, like, um, mm-hmm. Mazinger Z, and it went, I think, 78-year episodes or something. Or maybe a little more than that, but I think in the, in the dub at Transor Z, it was only 65 episodes, and they, like, cut some out, but yeah, cause that's one of, like, the few shows that went more than a year. Yeah, because, um, Mazinger was like 92 episodes total. So I guess like, okay. Well, if you made Transor Z for syndication, then there's that 65 episode caps, and then they had to cut some stuff out. Yeah, uh, that, that happened with um, Battle of the Planets also. In G-Force, the, the, the early Gachamon dubs, they edited out like a bunch of episodes. Yeah. But that was like one of the other lost anime from back then. But they didn't do shows like One Piece or something back then. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I guess they had like Sazai Son or whatever. It's been going fifty years, but like you know, as far as like action shows, they tended to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. So, at least with this show, you get some sense of plot progression, even though a lot of them are standalone episodes. Like mm-hmm. the puppy is never seen again after it saves Voltes Five. Yeah, <laughs> you would take such a useful backup character. With- come in and bite the robot every time or save him, but it never shows up again. Oh. Even though they're like, oh, we're going to take him as puppy because we're an orphan, just like the puppy is. 
And then it's like, okay, they, I guess, didn't. <laughs> or it just doesn't do anything. <laughs> do you have any more to say on Voltus 5, or do you want to get into closing remarks, or holiday closing remarks? We can do closing remarks. Alright, I actually, I actually did have a recommendation I wanted us to talk about, but it's already too late. But there's a show, it's one of the Brave series called X-Kaiser, and they did an episode... I did a Christmas episode where they fight a giant Santa Claus robot, and it is it is something I've shown this for panels um, for panel at a con um, a few months ago, and it's it's like I, I guess I can post up the episode from YouTube on on our on our um, our show notes so that people can go and check it out. But yeah, it's a giant robot like uh, X Kaiser that battles a giant uh, Santa Claus, and Santa is shred like ripped. And his only the only thing that comes out of his mouth is this robotic demonic like Merry Christmas, <laughs> and it, it is something. So <laughs> that to me that's like one of like if I'm going to show something during Christmas, it's going to be that episode. I even though I haven't seen anything else of the brave of that brave series or that or X Kaiser, like I'd rather just watch that one episode. I'm like all right, I'm done. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't seen this. Yeah, but, uh, I'll I'll probably have to. I'll just post it up in the chat or something, and it'll definitely remind me to do put that in show notes so people can check that out. Um, yeah, there's been a lot that happened in the past couple weeks since we last recorded. Uh, let's see, Herbie Bush died. Um, Richard Spencer says he's running for president. Ha! Um, I don't know what else. Yeah. Yeah, the 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 Bush train uh, went right by here, and uh, because they're burying him at the George Bush Museum in town. Well, yeah, they're and, burying uh, him by uh, Texas A and M, which is where you're cl- where you're close to being. Yeah, they brought him by train because you have to make it like uh, you know some sort of Lincolnian like uh, <laughs> national procession type thing where they had his funeral in several different locations and. Uh, and they're going to put him in the museum and everything. Uh, so they had him riding, like, his coffin and his son in the train. And so my dad, like, rode over there on his bike and, like, watched the train go by. And he saw George W. Bush through the window. And uh, Oh, nice. Uh, there were so many people, like, you know, there was all this traffic. And everybody was in town was, like, parked out there to go see the procession and everything. So, yeah, that was the big commotion here, and uh, probably Houston had similar problems when he was there. I bet there was a lot of traffic. Well, I, I imagine when, I imagine when it, when W passes, they'll probably go out there and watch him tr- drive past on a train with old man Jeb Bush on there. Yeah. Uh, is Jeb or W older? I thought W was older. Even though Jeb looks like really young for his age, but then again, like he looks young because he hasn't been president. Like uh, yeah. once he becomes, if he ever, if if ever he becomes president, he'll look old and shitty like uh, Herbert and George W. Because being a president is not easy work. Yeah, I, I had always thought of Jeb as older because I remember there's this Oliver Stone movie W, which had like George and he was acting all like. Oh, Jeb is doing better than me. He's like uh, succeeding in his career because W had some like failed run for uh, Congress in uh, the seventies or the eighties or something. Yeah, 
and it, like some uh, blue dog Democrat or something was like, you Connecticut Yankee, you ain't a true Texan, get the hell out of here. And, he <laughs> and then uh, W was like all depressed and he had to like work on some oil field. And then it, 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 Poppy was all like, Son, you're a disappointment compared to Jab, and you know I don't I don't know to what extent that was just like Oliver Stone like creating like a soap opera like dynasty. Yeah, <laughs> I I imagine like Herbie was probably a very good father to to all his kids, you know, um, very encouraging. And then, then there's like this now there's like this movie about Dick Cheney, which probably is going to cover like some of the same ground. I, I know they showed scenes of um of <laughs> the shooting accident. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really want to see the Dick Cheney movie. That that movie is weird because it's it's got like it seemed like the cast was like comedians or something, but it's like a serious movie. I think. Oh well, wait, I isn't know. it? It's not even called Dick Cheney movie. It's like Mick or something. Dick, isn't it? Oh, I, I just saw Dick. Is it? You can I, call I, it no, Dick. I thought for sure like they made a um. Hold on, Dick Cheney movie. Maybe it's called like Vice, like Vice. President. Vice, that's it. Yeah, that's such a weird name. Yeah, Christian Bale is playing Dick Cheney. <laughs> oh, it's a yeah, bio- biographical comedy drama. And but yeah, it's got Steve Carell, Sam Rockwell, Steve Amy Adams, Donald Rumsfeld. Man, I, what, what, I think this. Yeah, this comes out. Um, it comes out Christmas Day. There were a bunch of ads for it during Tsunami last night. Yeah, I, I I only saw one, but um, I do actually want to see this movie. <laughs> well, no, it was like, oh, it's already been elected for like best, um, you know, best film of the year or something for the because it's like Oscar bait film. But like, I I still uh. want to see it. <laughs> That's why they released it at the end of the year. Okay. Yeah. Well, they also got that. Um, ah, shoot, that movie, uh, The Mule, with uh, Clint Eastwood about like this eighty-five-year-old guy that was smuggling drugs for the cartels for years, and then finally got caught. That won't get any awards. Not, not that it's going to be a bad movie or anything, but uh, you remember when Clint Eastwood went to the. Uh, Republican convention in 2012. Yeah, yeah. And he had like an empty chair and he was like, yeah, he did, he did like a prop comedy thing. Yeah, and everybody was like, what the fuck? Because he's like, Obama, you ain't gonna raise my taxes. And the chair is just sitting there. (laughs) 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 It was just surreal. It was really entertaining. No, I, I remember. I remember the reason why he did it. I don't. But like, I, I see sort of the context why, but it was just still really interesting. And it's just like it was one. It's one of the reasons why Cheney didn't get in office. And it wasn't the main reason, but probably one of them. So I, that's all I can say. They, they probably thought like, "Hey, we finally got a Hollywood celebrity to endorse the Republican." We never had that before, and then that happened. <laughs> uh, do we want to bring Robert Redford in for the Republican National Convention for 2020? I mean, <laughs> try this I think again. He's the president of the new uh, Watchmen books. Of the what? The new Watchmen comic books. They're doing like this unnecessary sequel to the Watchmen in the uh, DC comics. And Robert Redford is is on that. 
he's yeah, he's the president in there, and they're trying to make him like an allegory for Trump because they've turned the whole comic book series into just like weird like resistance propaganda. Yeah. Like, the, the most recent issue, I, I posted some images from it, but it's like Putin is giving like an evil speech, and like Superman has to come in and save the day. And uh, there's, like, Syrian refugee children that have become superheroes, and it, like, barely has anything to do with Watchmen. It's just so weird. It's, like, that comic did not need a sequel. It didn't need those prequels either, but the sequel was even worse. Oh, man. I'm sure Alan Moore, his beard just gets grayer and grayer, and he gets angrier and angrier of, like, what they've done to his series. Yeah, it's just, it's just upping, it's just upping his uh, his grand wizardry skills to master grand wizard now. I think at this point he is like tapped out of comic books and doesn't even give a shit. Because a couple of years ago he made some comment like it's not something similar to what Bill Maher said really after uh, Stan Lee died, mm-hmm. which was sort of that uh, comic books have become like too big of a thing. Yeah. Not that the sales are particularly good or anything. But like the as a cultural phenomenon, they've almost replaced religion as sort of like the center of morality and discussion and everything in our society, <laughs> where where everybody has to see the new Marvel movie and it has like these increasingly convoluted and far fetched supernatural uh, stories that we're supposed to believe in, involving like half of the planet is suddenly gone. You know, like Thanos is now like. God and he can just wipe out everything with a wish, you know. Like the 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 fact that comic books, which are sort of just like an entertaining diversion for children after they finish their homework, as they were kind of originally devised, have now become something that adults will see the Avengers Infinity War movie literally dozens of times in theater and like post an image of themselves wearing a different shirt each day with their ticket stub on Twitter and everybody's like applauding them like you go you're so empowered to be doing this yeah well I don't I don't think this is I don't think this is bad as like adults going to like a safe space at a a comic con or like a therapy session for like the movie the Avengers movie like like they, they they what was it we like I think Dap posted it up and I was just like you've got to be effing kidding me was was that was that an anime Maru article or is that actually something? Because I know a lot, I, a lot of this stuff that posts this like parody clickbait. Maybe it was anime Maru. I really hope it came from that site. <laughs> that that site is hilarious though. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, I mean, I, 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 there were people who were like legitimately upset by that, and they were. <laughs> people are like oh my god they killed Spider-Man it really hit me in the feels when he said Tony I, I, I don't feel so well and it's like, you know they've announced another Spider-Man movie right he's not dead <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> oh. I mean I can, I can understand from a kid's perspective or like a teenager's perspective that grew up watching these movies like the one kid, like when I when I went and saw it uh, with my buddy Eric, and the kid next to him was just like, "Oh my god, oh my god, I can't believe they're doing this!" Oh no, like I can understand like him getting upset, and of course I was just laughing. Um, but you know, like a grown ass adult doing that kind of crap, like 
No, that is unacceptable. Uh, yeah, let's see here. I'm trying to think if there's anything significant. Uh, there hasn't really been much on the dimensional merge or anything. I think Chris still says it's ongoing. Yeah, um, I don't know. <laughs> he finally brought it up after like a month of silence on that. Yeah, uh, he, he's, he, he's got like his Twitter account still in the hands of some sort of, uh, Oh yeah. Then his, his Twitter got hacked or something that saying that Barbara died and, yeah. and they did a video of her and she looks like a zombie and she just gets worse like, and worse. And it's like, she kind of does look bad, Chris. <laughs> yeah. I think she's, I think it was like this, I think it's a Stanley effect where like, she's been dead, but no one's bothered to tell her yet. You are already dead. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, fat explodes all over the house. Well, she didn't have much fat left. I mean, that's if you did it to that's Chris. True. Yeah. That's she's, Snorlax she's gonna, yeah. That gonna Snorlax, like, got, lost a ton of weight in the past few years. Yeah, she has, like, uh, uh, colitis, I think. Because it caused bunch of weight. Um, and I love that Goku theme in quite a while. Um, I don't know if we read the, uh, the ones about the Thanksgiving parade, though. I'm, I'm gonna see if I can pull those Well, up. yeah, we recorded the before Thanksgiving, and yeah, love that Goku had some commentary on that. Yeah, so they, yeah. they aired the, uh, the Goku balloon float at the, the Macy's parade. Um, that was that was a big hit, um, and yeah, you got Al Roker that apparently like he pronounced the term Saiyan correctly and says not Saiyan, it's Cyan, and because I posted on Twitter and I think people were like actually Al Roker said it right, but I'm like to the native tongue of the English language he said it completely wrong, and I'm pretty sure people will be upset over that, so. Right, uh, he was, uh, he was, um, using, like, I guess what you would say if the English dub had not mispronounced it, because, like, in the Japanese version they say, Sayajin, which, uh, the gene, it means, like, people. Mm-hmm. So that they change it to an N at the end in the English version, like, uh, you know, Mars, Martian, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but uh, I guess if they had fanaticized it the same way as Japan does, it would have been cyan. Mm. It sounded more like he was saying, like, the color cyan, which, uh, you know, is the color of Goku's hair in the balloon, so I guess it kind of works. Yeah, like, if it's, like, you know, because he, he said blue cyan form or whatever, yeah. so it's like, oh, cyan is, is a cyan form of blue, blue. so. <laughs> okay, I found it. Uh, uh, there's a picture of a Goku balloon. It says, "Lend him your energy." Goku Thanksgiving parade balloon, nearly blown away in s- strong winds. So it's like a reference to the spirit bomb, where you have to lend Goku the energy. Uh, right. And then, uh, love that Goku says, "A poor representation of Goku's strength, nearly bested by a light wing." Anything to say, Ben? Pop <laughs> the balloon and make better one. And do the parade again. And to think, this happened with so many children watching. Next year, Macy's must build a better Goku balloon, and it should be the only one. 
to make him share the stage with the likes of Snoopy Dog, Jolly Green Giant, etc. is despicable. I shall not step food, as they put, <laughs> in a Macy's store this year. Nary a toe, even. At Macy's, you messed up the Goku's balloon. Boycott Macy's. To Macy's, you nearly let the Goku balloon fly away. Meanwhile, for Pikachu, it is smooth sailing. You shall do the parade over. To Macy's, I shall not shop at your store until you do the parade over with better Goku and no other floats. You would be wise to save the helium and pop the big Power Ranger, the big SpongeBob, etc., the Charlie Brown. Furthermore, the commentator not even seemed to recognize Goku, yet their eyes light up at the sight of the large balloon Pikachu. Oh wow, here comes Pikachu! Oh wow, who cares? <laughs> To Macy's, you have ought to be ashamed today. Black Friday indeed, you are worthless. Macy's, disgusting. And that's the end of the rant. Yeah, I think uh, I think we just will cover it. How long are we out here? Uh, we are at close to an hour and forty. So I think that I think that might be it for a Christmas episode. Um. I don't know. I got, I got nothing else to say for closing remarks. I, the only thing I wanted to bring up was like that X Kaiser episode that people should definitely check out. Uh, it should still be on YouTube by the time this episode comes out on Christmas Day. So if there's nothing else to say, well, I want to say, listeners, thank you for the uh, tuning in on your on your holiday season. Uh, whenever you will listen to us, if and when. And uh, we wish you a Merry Christmas. I think the only thing I've got coming up, uh, I don't know if we're going to release anything on uh, New Year's. Well, first of all, there's no Star Wars movie coming out. But then also the fact I'm going to the Wally Gator uh, Bowl in Jacksonville. Because um, I'm seeing NC State play Texas A&M. So we got, my family and I got tickets for that. So that's what I'm going to be doing uh, New Year's Eve for sure. Because I haven't been to a college football game since the Boke Bowl like two years ago. Uh huh. Yeah, I I don't know. Like I just always like it's called the um. Oh shoot! It's not the gate. It's still the consider the Gator Bowl, but then they call it something else, and I can't even. Ah. Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. That's it. So Tax Slayer wants to proudly put their company name on the Gator Bowl and sponsor it for however long. I just feel like I just feel tempted to show up with like a Wally Gator costume <laughs> for the Gator Bowl and just see if I make it on TV, but I probably won't do that. I don't know. I just like wear a Wally Gator T-shirt if it's like seventy degrees because it's freaking Florida. Because why not? Yeah, maybe that'll be uh, shown on TV. You in the audience with a yeah. Wally Gator shirt. Get some commentary on that. I don't know. Maybe there might be like a whole convention of people like that wear like that are Hanna Barbera fans that show up to every like Gator Bowl dressed as Wally Gator. I mean, one yeah, could hope, know. but <laughs> I was like, "Hey, I don't football can be fun." Is that well remembered? Really? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just, I just hope that it's true. <laughs> but I doubt it. Was um, there, was there a Birdman episode with Wally Gator? Yeah, it was the one where like Wally Gator was like a redneck. Okay. Yeah, and he has to go and rail him in from like his uh freaking uh, shack of a like a 
crab hole in like the middle of the Everglades. So put, like where Birdman was living at the start of the new special. It's, no, it was, but it was a lot more run down. Okay. Yeah, no, that episode of Alligator was pretty good because it was like <laughs> they charged Alligator for being a redneck, basically. Just because it's a dumb show, and then like at the end, there's like mud wrestling in the middle of the courtroom for no reason. Mm-hmm. But um, anyways, yeah, Merry Christmas, everyone. We will tune in for the next episode of whatever that might be, and uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and end it, things off with Voltus Five. There we go. All right, that is how you end it. All right, later. You could play that ending that uh that you know the, how there's like an song. That yeah, plays that's exactly that's exactly what I'm queuing up. Like at the end of this is an English um, Voltus Five theme because that just came out of nowhere in that one episode. So that's definitely going to be used for our ending song. They made that dub song and then they only used it in like one. Episode. Yeah, it was only like the one episode. I don't know if it was in any others based on. No, it wasn't in any others. But I wonder because the episodes were edited. I wonder if it was used in other episodes. But maybe. Yeah. All right, I'm going to go ahead and stop this recording. Merry Christmas. Bye. Someday the sun so bright shall feel all the